Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to episode 33 of Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, where we look at mysteries from the twin perspectives of faith and reason. Uh, and we have a special episode for you this week, folks. We have, we're talking about weird questions. I'm Don Bettinelli, and joining me today is Jimmy Akin. Jimmy, can you tell the folks what they can expect today? Yeah, so normally here uh, at Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, we release an episode every Friday, and we produce four episodes a month. But occasionally, there's a fifth Friday in a month, and we didn't want to leave people with nothing interesting to listen to on those Fridays. And so uh, what we've decided is that for most fifth Fridays, what we're going to do is uh, use an episode of Catholic Answers Live where I answer weird questions. We have certain episodes of Catholic Answers Live uh, where people have sent in deliberately unusual questions. They may deal with things like aliens or time travel or Bigfoot or cloning or whatever it may be. The same kind of material, uh, actually, to a significant degree that we talk about here on Mysterious World. And then Cy Kellett and I go through those questions and I uh, do my best to answer them. So it's kind of like what we do normally here on this show, except it's uh, it's in a Q&A format where we have shorter treatments of a larger number of topics in a given show. So uh, hope you enjoy this episode of Weird Questions, and we'll be back uh, next week with a brand new episode of Mysterious World. Welcome to Catholic Answers Live, the program where you participate with your questions about apologetics and evangelization, including the most important theological, spiritual, moral, and social issues facing the world today. Call now with your question for today's guest. Toll free, 1-888-31-TRUTH. That's 888-318-7884. Now, from San Diego, Catholic Answers Live. Hello and welcome to our Wednesday edition of Catholic Answers Live. I am Cy Kellett, your host. In this hour, we tackle the weird, the strange, the unusual. Those questions about the Catholic faith that you just don't hear every day, although we get to hear them on occasion, uh, usually through email or a post on the interwebs or some other um, uh, easy to access us place. And we uh, thought, we'd, let's just do a show about that. That'll be fun. Like those strangest questions we get about the Catholic faith. Um, and here to help us answer those is a man who loves strange questions. Jimmy Aiken. Hi, hey Jimmy. There. You know, when you said that we were going to be tackling the weird and the strange, it's like, wait, why are my ears burning? <laughs> I'm not going to be tackling you, okay, Jimmy. <laughs> good. I don't like being tackled. No, but you do like the strange, the unusual, the odd. Yeah, yeah. I do. Yeah, it's that, it's it's odd and strange, and that those things are attractive to you. Well, to everybody, to a certain extent, that's why we're, humans are curious. Yeah. So these are uh, some of the curious and, er, and curiouser questions that we get. Uh, I, I should say, just to give credit or blame where it's appropriate, this show was your idea. So yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. We were talking yesterday, and but, you said, "Hey, let's do this." And but, so yeah, it's no accident that I had the idea while I was talking with you. Well, so <laughs> but, okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, uh, but we're both fans of uh, like um, uh, Coast to Coast AM with mm -hmm. George Norrie. He used mm -hmm. to be with um, Art Bell, Art Bell, and that that kind of thing. I mean, so yeah, 
we thought, well, let's do some of those odd questions. Although, strangely, you haven't watched the X-Files. No, yeah. uh, it's, I should show you because I don't believe the answer is out there. Yeah, well. <laughs> or the, what did they say? The answer, the, the truth, truth is out. The there. truth is out. There. Well, the truth. Yeah, no, the truth is in here. Uh, the the no, I forgot where I was going to go with that. But um, many of these questions uh, you solicited yeah. some, some yeah. of these questions, and folks were uh, shared their odd questions or odd questions that had been asked of them. And as a matter of right. fact, other apologists here at Catholic Answers and other apologists elsewhere elsewhere said, oh, this is, here's the the oddest question I've gotten or mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So we'll get to some of those. Um, First, though, we were going to talk about Stephen Hawking. That's right. I, yeah. I apologize. I forgot that. We don't want to mention Stephen Hawking's passing. Uh, well, I heard this morning, but I guess mm-hmm. in yeah. our time it would be la- oh, last night. Uh, Stephen Hawking, uh, the great physicist, uh, died at 76 years old um, um, on Pi Day on oh, March 14th, 3.14. Isn't that something? Mm-hmm. Died on Pi Day. Yeah. Um, uh, you, any th- thoughts on uh, Stephen Hawking? Because it's a good place to start. It's funny that we had planned on doing this uh, weird, odd, strange things yeah. show. And some of them will deal with science and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. And he was very interested in the strange. Mm-hmm. Like black holes was his favorite thing. One of his favorite things, yeah. Uh-huh. He, um, so I've, you know, uh, like a lot of people, I'm aware of Stephen Hawking. I've read several of his books. Um, and he's, you know, when he's writing for a, for a popular audience, he's actually quite accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he's obviously a really smart guy. Had, uh, like anybody, had uh, some kind of rough edges to his personality no, on yeah. various issues, um, was a member of the Pontifical Academy of Science yep. and met and interacted with a number of popes, including most recently Pope Francis, uh, had kind of went back and forth on the God question. If you read some of his earlier books, like um, A Brief History of Time, or a briefer history of time, uh, he talks or universe in a nutshell. He talks about God in a in a way that's very open to the idea of God, um, or at least some idea of God. In a more recent book from about eight years ago called The Grand Design, he was more closed. Mm-hmm. Um, and his arguments, frankly, in that book weren't that great, and which was rapidly pointed out by people that he really didn't have an explanation for how the universe could come from nothing which was what he was trying to argue is that there was, would be a way for it to happen without God, but he wasn't starting with nothing. Yeah. I think part, part of the reason he had trouble with that is that it's impossible for something to come from nothing. Yeah. I think that might've been part of the problem. Well, and he, 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 he that is part of the problem. Yes. <laughs> but he had, uh, he had some arguments like, well, if you have uh, certain laws of physics, yeah, then you could, get a, a, a universe that would generate from those. But the thing is, where do you get those laws of physics? Right. You have to start you know, with you start with something. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. So uh, but that was eight years ago. And so who knows? Maybe he may have reconsidered by then, maybe even in his final moments. And we can certainly all hope so and pray for his soul. Right. And I and I he, he seemed to enjoy the same television programs you do. Some he, of them, he yeah. appeared on, on Star Trek. Star Trek, yeah. He was in the final episode. Yeah, uh, that was the final episode of the Next, Next Generation. Generation. Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. He play, so. got to play cards with uh, Einstein and Newton and Data. Yep. And yep. he got to he, he via his voice synthesizer uh, got to issue the immortal line: "Wrong again, Albert." 
when Einstein called his bluff. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh right. That's right. Uh, well, so we, we certainly um, uh, can uh, pray for uh, the uh, eternal rest of uh, Stephen Hawking. And um, by the way, some and I saw this pointed out more than one place with Stephen Hawking. He was apparently at least this is the claim. He was born on uh, Galileo's birthday, died on Einstein's death day. Really? Yeah. I haven't verified that, but I'm seeing people claiming that online. Um, originally, did you know he originally wanted to study mathematics and not physics? Mm-hmm. But he couldn't because he, he was, well, he could have, I guess, but he was at Oxford and they don't have a mathematics department at Oxford, apparently. Hmm. So he never, he had to go for physics. Doesn't this, he was a Lucasian chair of uh-huh, mathematics right, yeah. at Oxford. Right. Which is the same but, chair that data will occupy in the 24th century. Uh, but even more important, perhaps, it was the same chair that uh, Isaac, Isaac Newton, Newton yes. <laughs> previously mm-hmm. occupied. All right. Uh, strange, weird, uh, odd. And we don't mean weird in any pejorative way. We, we, we delight in these questions. We're not uh, putting them down in any way. Uh, and all, you know, we, we try to maintain an atmosphere in which all questions are welcome. So let me give you one, okay. uh, uh, Jimmy. Um, RJ asks... There are those who are unwavering in faith that are genuinely praying, genuinely praying for their favorite sports team to win uh, because uh, they are the best at being great persons and try so hard because that's how you feel about your sports team. That's like me mm. with the Celtics. So what do you say about that? Uh, well, it it's a difficult question for me to tackle because I get it, you know, tackle. Because, oh, yes, we're tackling. Because, hey, I made a sports metaphor. I get a gold star for that um, because I'm not a sports fan. And and the thing is, I never really I never have been even when I was like six. So I, I grew up in Fayetteville, Arkansas, which is the hometown of the Razorbacks. Oh, yeah. Sports was a big deal there. Mm-hmm. But even like and, and I came from a university family. You know, um, I mean, my dad was a professor at the University of Arkansas. And so I was just surrounded by all this Razorback stuff. And even then, I didn't get it. It's like, why should I root for this team just because I live in geographical proximity to it? Yeah. Um, so I, that's the one question you can't ask if you're going to be a sports fan. <laughs> you just have to just go with that. That's yeah. all. You just can't ask that question. Um, but I would say that, um, if someone is praying for their sports team to win because they think that they're the best at being great persons mm-hmm. and that they try so hard, mm-hmm. I would say that regard to the regarding the first of those that they're the best at being great persons I would say that's probably a little bit of in tribe cognitive bias making you view your team as better persons because there this is a this is a known group dynamic you you have an in group out group dynamic you view people in your own group more positively and people who are not part of your group more negatively. Right. This is a known human cognitive bias. And um, <clears throat> so I would say probably you're not correct if you're thinking that your guys are genuinely better people. Can, can I just get a clarifier on that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that in, does that hold true if you're talking about the Celtics versus the Lakers as well? Yeah. Because the, the Celtics uni- are uni- better. Universal. People. Oh, okay. All right. Let's just make it true. Um, okay. On the second one, uh, wanting them to uh, to win because they try so hard. Yeah. Well, that could be true in individual cases that particular teams really try hard. And there's something very endearing 
about wanting when you see people you care about and they're really trying and you want to see them rewarded. Mm-hmm. And that's that's an, that's another natural human instinct. And in this case, it's a very endearing one. Mm-hmm. The in-group, out-group dynamic is less endearing yeah. because it can lead to conflict between yes. groups. Right. But just wanting to see people you care about succeed when they really try hard, that's, that's a very endearing one. Um, from God's perspective, though, I don't think that either of those grounds are going to be particularly persuasive in getting God to offer d- divine intervention to help a particular sports team win. I mean, I could imagine really unusual scenarios where, you know, the conversion of a million souls is going to hinge on who wins oh, the World Series or something. Mm-hmm. And God might divinely intervene in those cases. But ultimately, um who wins in a particular sports game is is not something that God's really going to take sides on. Yeah. Um, I would say that if your team really is uh, a, a good group of people and they really are trying hard, that'll kind of just naturally lead to them winning um, more often than not. Um, what I'm familiar with that I think is a little better kind of prayer is um, – to pray that both sides, I know, I know some people in sports teams make this their prayer, that both sides play well and that they play safely and mm-hmm. that everybody have a good time and things like that. And those, I think, are are clearly worthy prayers in a sports context. But um, uh, wanting your side to win just because they're your side, I understand that. That's a human thing. But it God's ways are not man's ways, and I wouldn't expect God to side with people just because they're your people. God loves everybody equally. All right. Uh, thank you, RJ, for that question. The weird, the wild, the unusual, the strange. That is our topic today. The questions that we don't usually get or get to here on Catholic Answers Live. Jimmy Aiken, senior apologist here at Catholic Answers, is our guest. We'll take a quick break and we'll come back with more of the weird world of apologetics or the weird side of apologetics after this on Catholic Answers Live. Bringing you the truth. Catholic Answers Live. God helps those who help themselves. Preach the gospel always. When necessary, use words. Sayings like these are such a part of tradition that we assume they come from the Bible, the saints, or famous Christian writers. Even though nobody can seem to place their origin by sheer repetition, they have acquired a halo of truth. In What the Saints Never Said, Trent Horn takes over 40 of these well-known but actual dubious sayings and attempts to track them to their true source. The result? He finds some that are close to what was really said, many that were misattributed or twisted beyond their original meaning, and more than a few that were just plain made up. By setting the record straight, Trent roots out theological errors that can lead us away from Christian truth and offers authentic quotes from Scripture, saints, and scholars that will draw you closer to that truth. Get your copy of What the Saints Never Said today by Calling one 291 8000 visiting the shop at catholic.com, or asking for it at a good Catholic bookstore near you. Catholic Answers Live is brought to you in part by CatholicSingles.com, the website for Catholics who want to meet others who share their Catholic values for faith, fellowship, and love. You can learn more at CatholicSingles.com. Catholic Answers Live thanks CatholicSingles.com for their generous support. We struggle with sin. We're distracted in prayer. We find it hard to be loving and easy to be selfish. Thankfully, the Church has given us Lent. 
the perfect time for reform, of reconversion to God and His will for us. The saints of the Counter-Reformation faced greater obstacles than these, yet they found the grace to persevere during a tumultuous period in the church. How can we do the same? Reform Yourself is a great place to start. We all need to reform our souls. This Lent, let the saints who reformed the church show you how. Order your copy of Reform Yourself today by calling 1-888-291-8000, visiting the shop at catholic.com, or asking for it at a good Catholic bookstore near you. We're not taking live calls. However, we invite you to stay with us and enjoy the broadcast. This is Catholic Answers Live. Welcome back to Catholic Answers Live. Jimmy Aiken is our guest this hour. We're talking, we're, we're tackling some of the strangest questions we get here at Catholic Answers. We thought it would be fun to have a afternoon to just take the weird and the wild uh, in our questions. And I forgot to mention the first hour. We're, we're, all of these have been submitted already, so we're not taking calls today. But uh, Jimmy's in for open forum tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, with, this is just the third time this week. Jimmy? It is. It's an unusual week. This is a weird, wild week we're having here. Yep. Um, let's go to Mark. Uh, Mark's question, is it true that a medieval pope had a dead pope dug up to stand trial? Okay, now this story just really strains credibility. I mean, a How pope could you ever believe such a thing? digging up a dead pope yeah. to put the dead pope on trial come on, even Mark. though he's dead. Yeah. Well, you on. know what? What? It's true. What? Yeah, it's really true. Um, this happened in the 800s, in the late 800s. There was... Uh, at the time, the papacy and the uh, the empire were kind of caught up in a very turbulent period politically where you had different factions in Italian imperial politics doing stuff and, and the papacy was obviously influential and so that led to conflict regarding the papacy and it was a very human time by which I mean it was a, it was a bad time. <laughs> And yeah. because humans tend to mess things up in the present order of things. And and they were messing up stuff at this point. And so you had this succession of popes very rapidly. It was a very turbulent period. And there was a pope named Formosus um, who served in the 890s. And he didn't serve very long, although he served longer than his immediate successor, who only served 15 days. Um even shorter than John Paul I. Was he, there was there some foul play in that fifteen day one, or not in the fifteen day one? But there was in the next one. Oh, okay. uh, Stephen the uh, the sixth, sometimes called Stephen the seventh, and Stephen the sixth. Um, we'll mention how he ended, or at least my memory of how he ended. But he was the one who really was hacked off at Pope Formosus, who had died by this point. And so he had Pope Formosus's body exhumed, and they put it on trial mm-hmm. um, for a number of alleged offenses, including um, perjury and usurping the papal office and things like that, and, um, and convicted him uh, after, even though he was dead. And then... Uh, if I recall correctly, they buried the body, then they dug it up again and threw it in the Tiber, yeah. uh, which was a common thing in Rome. They've got the Tiber River there, and so a common way of disgracing someone after they were dead was to throw their body in the Tiber. However, um, his body was recovered and exonerated oh. and is now buried in St. Peter's Cathedral. 
thank good for the goodness he was exonerated. Yeah, I mean, thing, things did not end so well for Stephen the Sixth, sometimes he, known as Stephen the Seventh, sometimes known as Stephen the Seventh, which VII. I think is my favorite part of the story. Uh huh. <laughs> he uh, he. Well, you'll have to factor in this part of the story. He was then thrown in after his his his. Oh, by the way, if you want to read about this, it's called the Cadaver. Um, the Cadaver Synod. Mm-hmm. It happened in January of 897. Mm-hmm. But you can go read about the Cadaver Synod. Didn't end well for him. It kind of turned popular opinion against him. He got thrown in prison and then killed in prison. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. I thought this was all going to end on a happy note. It seemed like such a happy story. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, you uh, know, it's 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 one of those things that can happen. I mean, the very first pope, St. Peter, he denied Christ. Yeah. You know, and, right. and so... Popes can definitely have flaws, but God can work through them anyway, just like he worked through St. Peter, despite St. Peter's flaws. Indeed. Uh, again, we're, we're covering the weird and the wild today, the strangest questions we get here at Catholic Answers. We've got a bunch of them. We'll get to as many as we can. And uh, the, We go now to Jethro, who asks, is it true some Pope and saints were tobacco smokers? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Lots of them, in fact. Um, hmm. so off the top of my head, uh, saints that fall into the category of tobacco users include, and this is a very small sample, mm-hmm. but among them are St. Damien of Molokai. What? Uh, yeah, he was a pipe smoker. He also raised tobacco in Hawaii. Um, uh, blessed Pierre Giorgio Frassati. I don't know. Um, he, was a, he was a 20th century. He died in like 1925 or something. He was an Italian, uh, very uh, young kind of manly guy, uh, big sportsman. He was a mountain climber. There's a famous picture of him. He's just ascended some mountain. He's standing there on top of it and he's smoking a pipe. Nice. In some of the more politically correct airbrushing, the pipe has been airbrushed out. But um, <laughs> That's um, good. I'm glad to hear that. Alphonsus Liguri. A doctor of the church used snuff. Um, and, uh, Joseph Cupertino and John Bosco and Philip Neary all used tobacco. One that will probably surprise some people. Oh, so, by the way, so did uh, St. John Vianney. He was a snuff user. And Padre Pio oh, was, was, a, really? was a snuff user. Yeah. But some, one that will probably surprise people, St. Bernadette Subiru was oh. a snuff user. Was it just very common? It was very, it was very common. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, and in fact, she was actually prescribed it because of her asthma. Oh, and it was the, like help her sneeze and oh. get stuff going again. I guess. I guess. Um, so there's there have been bunches of saints. Also, I want to say Edith Stein, if I'm not mistaken, was a cigarette oh. smoker. Um, the same thing has been true of popes. Uh, Pope Benedict the Fourteenth. Back in the okay. 1700s, he was a snuff user. Uh, Pius IX used snuff and built a cigar factory in Rome. Um, Leo XIII was a snuff user. Pius X used snuff and cigars. Uh, Pius XI smoked cigars. Pius uh, John XXIII smoked cigarettes. And according to press accounts, Benedict XVI really? smoked or smokes cigarettes and has a preference for Marlboro. Really? Yeah. Um, wow. So this is this is not. I mean, I know today it's in, especially in places like California. There's a lot of anti-tobacco sentiment. Yes. But it is not church teaching that smoking is a sin. It's just not, and it it never has been. So what is the church teaching so about he, tobacco? Here's church teaching. If you yeah. look at the Catechism of the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. sec, paragraph twenty two ninety. 
It says the virtue of temperance disposes us to avoid every kind of excess, the abuse of food, alcohol, tobacco, or medicine. So it's not the use, it's the excessive use or abuse. Right. So smoking is not a sin. Smoking too much yeah. is a sin, just like eating is not a sin or drinking is not a sin. Eating too much or drinking too much yep. is where the sinfulness lies. I've always thought uh, smoking is an interesting little test case because it's from the, the Americas. And so mm-hmm. it's never mentioned in any of the scriptures of most of the world's religions that came from Asia and Europe for the sure. for, for the most part. So. Yeah. Like I, I believe, uh, like Islam, which has quite a few restrictions on various things, mm-hmm. Muslims can smoke. If oh I'm yeah, not, not during Ramadan. Oh, they don't smoke during Ramadan. No, not oh. during the daytime in Ramadan. Um, but if you think about it, what smoking is? It's it's a form of incense. Oh yeah, and incense like, is not intrinsically uh, evil. Yeah, yeah. Um, just so. It, I know we mm-hmm. both like Bob Newhart. Bob Newhart has a hilarious bit on oh yeah on tobacco. Uh-huh. Yeah. Have you ever heard it? Where, yeah, where he's, he's it's one of his he's, phone calls where you hear half of the phone call. He's yeah. talking to Sir Walter Raleigh, and Sir Walter Raleigh's trying to convince him that tobacco is an important thing to bring back to Europe. The people are going to yeah. want, it. and he's like, "What you're going to light you it on fire and put it, it in your mouth? You light it on fire? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, um, let's go to uh, uh, Jethro. Thank you very much uh, for that weird, wild question. We go now uh, to Andrea, who asks. If life exists on another planet, did Jesus come down there too? We don't know the answer to this. Um, there um, are some theological, some theologians who have speculated that his incarnation in the human race is unique, you know, and we know he didn't, so far as we know, uh, become an angel. Um, mm. He may have manifested at times in a way that he could be classified as one of God's messengers or angels, but he didn't, so far as we know, incarnate, so to speak, yeah. quote unquote, incarnate, because angels don't have flesh, so you can't really incarnate. Yeah. But um, he didn't become hypostatically united to an angelic nature the way he became hypostatically united to a human nature, so far as we know. And there are some things in Revelation, like Jude's comment that he didn't sp- stoop to pick up angels when they fell. Yeah. Would could suggest that he didn't. But and so there have been some people that have said his 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 hypostatic union with humanity is unique and therefore wouldn't happen on other planets. Well, it wouldn't if he chose not to, but to my mind, we just don't have data about uh, uh, to tell us that, that he because he's omnipotent, he can do it if he chooses to. So the real question is, does he choose to? And we don't know. If there is uh, extraterrestrial life in the universe that's intelligent, then he has the ability to unite himself hypostatically there Mm -hmm. to one of their species members as well. Um, And we'll have to wait and find out. There have been uh, incidentally numerous science fiction stories based on the premise of Jesus becoming incarnate on other planets, including a an episode of one of your favorite science fiction series, Cy Kellett, um, in Star Trek, the original series. Oh, there is an episode called, called Bread and Circuses, where yeah. they go to a planet where the Roman Empire never ended. And so they're and like having... Guns. So they're having like gladiator fights on national television and stuff like that. And uh, they keep hearing uh, through the throughout the episode about this underground group of sun worshipers. 
And uh, at the end of the episode, Uhura, who has been monitoring, you know, the radio frequencies, says, yeah, it's not the sun in the sky that they worship. It's the son of God. I implying that, that Jesus has also it's like a little chill moment there. there. Yeah. yeah. At the end. Yeah. Uh, again, today we are tackling some of the stranger questions that come our way. This is our weird questions hour with Jimmy Aiken. Uh, so hang on. We're going to do more of that when we come back. And if you've got calls, you've got questions that you want to ask Jimmy Aiken, Jimmy's coming back tomorrow for Open Forum. So any call you got, hang on to that because we've got some more weird, wild, strange, and wacky questions coming up right after this on Catholic Answers Live. Catholic Answers Live. This week on EWTN On Location, the 2017 EWTN Catholic Radio Conference comes to EWTN Television featuring Dr. Ray Garendi, Father Larry Richards, Tompkin and Blaze, the EWTN Choir, Dr. David Anders, EWTN Radio Affiliates, and more. It's an hour of highlights from the Catholic Radio Event of the Year. Join us for EWTN On Location this Saturday, 2 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Television. Fifty years ago, blessed Pope Paul VI released his encyclical Humanae Vitae, reaffirming the Catholic Church's condemnation of contraception. Catholic Answers magazine is marking the anniversary with a very special issue delving deep into what is arguably one of the Church's most controversial documents in modern times. Want to be sure to get your copy? Subscribe right now to the best Catholic apologetics magazine anywhere by calling 818 487-2011 or by going to CatholicAnswersMagazine.com We'll take you on an exploration of the crucial social and theological issues surrounding the encyclical and try to answer questions about the theological core of the issue of contraception possible limits of the document's teaching, what led the Pope to issue the encyclical and so much more. Don't miss out on what will be a virtual handbook on the most important aspects of Paul VI's profound and prophetic document. Don't wait another moment to subscribe. Call 818-487-2011 or go to the shop at catholic.com right now to get subscriptions for yourself and those you love. Share the faith. Defend the faith. Catholic Answers Magazine from Catholic Answers, the most trusted name in Catholic apologetics. Welcome back to Weird Wednesday here on Catholic Answers Live, where we, I just, I just came up with that, mm-hmm. Weird Wednesday. Oh, okay. It's going to be Freaky Friday if we do it on a Friday. That would be a good title, too. Or, th- 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 I don't know what to do on a Thursday. Th- th- thoroughly odd Thursday. Something Maybe like that. That'll be, <laughs> that'll be it. I want to remind people, um, Jimmy, you got an article in this as well. The, the new, uh, the special edition of uh, Catholic Answers Magazine coming out on Humanae Vitae. It is oh, the right. 50th anniversary of Humanae Vitae. Yeah, I wrote I, the cover story for that. So it's kind of an overview of the whole issue and leading up what led up to Humanae Vitae, uh-huh. which is there's more there than people realize. And, um, and there's some surprising 
things that you will learn about Humanae Vitae and, and, and why it arose and the questions that led to it, because um, it's a much more interesting story than what you would think. Okay, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. And I was just talking with uh, Tim Ryland, the intrepid editor of Catholic Answers Magazine, and I said, are you proud of it? And he said, I'm very proud of it. So, oh, I, yeah, this is a big one. And, it, and I really think um, this is the great kind of searing controversy that the church has faced over the last 50 years. There are mm-hmm. other controversies, but I, this just goes to the heart of everything. Mm-hmm. And Umani Vitae was the was the point at which maybe the battle was most hotly joined. Mm-hmm. And so reflecting on it is a very important thing. And this uh, issue will really help you to do that. Uh, the way you get the magazine is you just go to catholicanswersmagazine.com to subscribe. It's 10 to $20 off now, depending on whether you make a one-year or two-year subscription. Uh, and if you can subscribe this month, uh, then you will be in in time to get this uh, magnificent uh, Umane Vitae uh, issue with the cover story by Jimmy Aiken and articles by lots of lots of other. We, well, we talked yesterday with Trent. Trent wrote an article uh, for it as well. So uh, lots of good people have a piece in there, and I hope you'll get it. Um, when I say it is Weird Wednesday, I mean that we are tackling questions today that have come to us through various means, uh, internetish, and they through are Facebook. Oh, they're all, for, all from yeah, Facebook. Facebook. Oh, yeah. okay. So uh, not through various means through Facebook. Um, and they they all have to do, have a weird angle, or they're uh, different than the usual question that we get. And this one comes uh, from Mark Shea, actually. Oh, and Mark okay. yep. is a well-known apologist himself, right? And his blog, I think, is uh, Catholic and enjoying it. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, and he's has this. Uh, I once I was once asked on the air. So he was on another radio show. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. And as a Catholic apologist, this is a Asked, answering question. And he says this question was the, an odd one that hit him. We all know that John the Baptist was beheaded. And of course, if that happened today, they would have kept him alive with pumps and things. Yeah. I'm not sure about that. Yeah. I'm not sure about that premise. Well, but okay. Mark wasn't either. The, uh, the, he's told me this story personally, but some guy called up and said, okay, so we all know John the Baptist was beheaded. And of course, today we'd keep him alive with pumps and stuff. It's like, really? And Mark was like, would we? Really? <laughs> so, and I mentioned to Mark that there's actually a 1962 campy horror movie called The Brain That Wouldn't Die where exactly this happens. A woman gets decapitated in a car wreck and her husband is a scientist who keeps her head alive in a pan. And Uh, her name is Jan. So on the Mystery Science Theater version, they refer to her as Jan Jan. in the pan. Um, So the premise might be a bit off. Yeah, we'll see. Also, the whole point of beheading John the Baptist was to make him die. So um, Herod... Even uh, if he had w- pumps. Would, even if he had the pumps, he wouldn't have used them. Right. Mm. They did have pumps at that time, but they were hand. Uh, not, not for recirculating blood <laughs> and keeping it oxygenated. No. Mm. Uh, okay. So the question that follows that premise, mm. uh, however, is a fascinating one. Uh, what is the official Catholic teaching on how much body mass you can lose before you lose your soul? Okay. Um, this And there's no official Catholic teaching on this. So... Um, But I think there is a reasonable theological answer, and the answer has to be judged along more than one axis. On the one hand, now the soul is a substantial form of the body, and therefore um, when 
it's also the animating principle of the body. And so when the body dies, the soul goes away. That's the point at which you have separation of body and soul. So the point at which you would lose your soul due to loss of body mass is the point at which you've lost so much body mass that your body ceases to function and dies. Okay. Okay. So um, there is more than one way to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, if you're, if you're, you know, taking off, you're losing weight, let's say, but you're not losing any of your vital organs or anything like that, then um, you can lose lots of body mass and still remain alive and thus still retain your soul. Um, if, on the other hand, the particular body mass you're losing is part of your vital organs, yeah. well, since they're vital, as the name indicates, they're essential for life, you know, vita, and... Um, and so if you lose that body mass, this is the second axis, um, if you lose that body mass, then you're go- you don't need to lose as much mm-hmm. in order. I mean, just lose your heart, you're gone. Mm-hmm. And so any any loss of body mass that would cause death, whether it's a large quantity of less essential body mass or a smaller quantity of more essential body mass, um, that would be the point at which you lose your soul. Um, a special case is the brain because the soul seems to be – soul is involved with consciousness. Consciousness is united with the brain in a special manner. And so a kind of special case would involve what if you lost the brain, you took someone's brain out and it died, mm-hmm. but you kept – the rest of the body going, for example, with pumps and stuff. Yeah, which okay. is, is, that actually does get done. Yeah, yeah. And, or something, at least it's conceivable how it could happen. Um, I don't know about anyone getting a brainectomy, really, but... No, but know. severe brain damage, like you hear those cases where a mother is expecting a child and... and is Something similar. I mean, we yeah. can keep bodies on life support even without substantial brain function. Right. Um, but suppose you took the brain out entirely. I think there's a case there that the person's true soul would have departed with the removing and death of the brain and the... the even and and that whatever is happening to keep the body alive doesn't involve the person's immortal soul, but that's yeah. more conjectural. It's yeah, harder to establish that, right. but it does at least raise more of a question if you're talking about removing the brain but keeping the rest of the body alive somehow. It raises more of a question at least. Right, and that gets us back to Star Trek, where Spock's brain Spock's brain is taken out. Brain on brain, what is brain? <laughs> Uh, so, again, Mark Shea, thanks for sharing that one with us. We go now to Lori uh, on Facebook, as all these questions have come from Facebook. As a cradle Catholic, there is always the hot dog on the international dateline question. <laughs> there is there always, I've been one, never, of the, one of the eternal one questions. One of those perennials. Yeah. Um, if I start to eat a hot dog, I, I just love this question. If I start to eat a hot dog mm-hmm. on board a ship when it is Holy Thursday... And as I cross the international date line, I am still eating the hot dog, which I guess she means that it becomes Good yeah, Friday. Then. Right. Uh, or any Friday if it's in. in yeah. Yeah. Is that a sin? Um, OK, so there are two relevant texts for this. The first one is the 1960s um, Apostolic Constitution Penitemony by Pope Paul VI, in which he reordered the church's penitential discipline. And one of the things he indicated in penitemony is that he wanted um, people to focus on the spirit of the disciplines rather than simply um, 
worrying about uh, getting scrupulous about the details. And so um, he uh, he said that there that the substantial observance of the church's penitential discipline disciplines binds gravely. But you'll notice he said substantial. Mm-hmm. And either there or in another related document by the U.S. bishops, there was a comment made on that um, that, that indicated the focus was not on an individual act, but on the substantial, it's like your pattern of behavior. So like if you you didn't strictly observe the abstinence law one time, that wouldn't be a mortal sin. But if you just said, I'm never doing this, well, then that would, because you're not substantially observing them. Mm-hmm. So um, if you're in the act of eating a hot dog as you go over the international dateline, a reasonable person would say you're still substantially observing the law if you finish the hot dog. Okay. You know, and yeah. so that would, even just on the grounds of penitentiary, uh, you know, if you like, finish that hot dog that you're already in the process of eating, but then don't have another, no. well, then you're substantially observing the law. So it wouldn't, it wouldn't be a problem. Um, but there's a second document, and this document is from 1997. It was issued by John Paul II. It's a motu proprio called Stella Maris. Stella Maris means star of the sea. And um, this motu proprio deals with the pastoral care of seafarers. Okay. Specifically, you know, people on boats, sailors, travelers, crew, officers, whatever. Um, Anybody traveling by a boat is uh, affected by the law established in Stella Maris. And in Stella Maris, Pope John Paul II provided the following. Seafarers are not bound by the laws of fast and abstinence prescribed in Canon 1251. So that's the... canon in the Code of Canon Law that establishes this law. So he says they're not bound by it. Uh, They are advised, however, when taking advantage of this dispensation to undertake a comparable work of piety in place of abstinence and, as far as possible, to observe both laws on Good Friday in memory of the sufferings and death of Jesus Christ. So if you're on a boat and you're crossing the international dateline, even if it's into a Friday where mm-hmm. if you were on land, you would be bound to abstain. You're not bound to abstain. Uh-huh. You're automatically let off of that because they didn't want travelers having to scruple over this kind of thing. Yeah. You're advised, and that means it's advice. You don't have to, but right. you're advised to do something else if you decide to finish the hot dog or, yeah. you know, but you don't have to. Got it. Okay. What, that's a, that's a fascinating, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. fascinating to me that, that it's that's that specific question was so specifically addressed in actual documents of the church. I think that's wonderful. It's, it's really fascinating. It, it, it's now part of the Dicastery for Integral Human Development, but they have documents. It was formerly the Pastoral Council for the Care of Migrant Peoples, but they have documents dealing with all kinds of different groups. I mean, specifically yeah. for here's pastoral care for the gypsies, yeah. and here's pastoral care for uh, circus know, workers for airports. I was just going to mention yeah. carnival workers and traveling performers. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they, they, they want to help everybody. Yeah. It, well, praise God for that. we got to take a quick break. We'll be back with more weird, wild questions from the Internet when we come back after this on Catholic Answers Live. Catholic Answers, the most trusted name in Catholic apologetics. 
Hi, this is Trent Horn, and you've probably heard me explain Catholicism to non-Catholic callers on the radio or engage opponents in formal public debates. I've always hoped these interactions would show people how to graciously defend and share our faith. But they're not enough. That's why I've created a weekly podcast that will help Catholics answer the toughest objections against our faith. Every episode of the Council of Trent will provide listeners with a conversation roadmap that will help them share their faith with anyone. Keep in mind that I hate boring lectures. These podcasts will contain entertaining, informative, and practical explanations of the faith, as well as interviews with the best Catholic writers and speakers in the world today. Visit TrentHornPodcast.com today to find out how you can subscribe to my new podcast. That's TrentHornPodcast.com. Catholic Answers is doing it again. We're holding our fifth annual apologetics conference this September in beautiful San Diego, California, and we'd like to see you there. We've had a wonderful time going home all uh, enthused. Every time we come here, it's just an incredible experience. Normally, you'd have to root through a dozen different books to get half the stuff I've learned here. These guys are so amazing. I always get so much, learn so much. I've already signed up for next year. Join us this September 27th to the 30th for a lively and inspiring conference with an all-star lineup of speakers guaranteed to jumpstart your faith. All of your favorite Catholic Answers apologists and special keynote speaker, Raymond Leo Cardinal Burke. I enjoy the atmosphere and the friendliness of the people. I'm having a great time. I love it. I love it. I'm so glad I came here. I've just learned so much. You know, I've been a Catholic all my life. It's It's just been so wonderful. I love it. I want to come back every year. Pope Francis said, The key that opens the door to the faith is prayer. Join St. Paul Street Evangelization by running a prayer station in the public square. You don't need to be a professional apologist or theologian. Just listen to the needs of the people you encounter. Offer encouragement, take prayer requests, and pray with people. Find out more and get involved today at streetevangelization.com. That's streetevangelization.com. not taking live calls. However, we invite you to stay with us and enjoy the broadcast. This is Catholic Answers Live. Welcome back. Cy Kellett, your host, Jimmy Aiken, our guest. I want to remind you, we're going to be at the L.A. Religious Ed Conference on Friday. We're going to be doing a live broadcast there, usual hours, uh, 3 to 5 p.m. on the West Coast time. And uh, just come by the EWTN booth. Uh, you Pretty hard to miss it. It's got all the big EWTN signs all over it. I think the Catholic Answers booth is right next to it. And so when you come by the Catholic Answers booth, please say hello. And if you've got some time between 3 and 5 and you'd like to uh, ask a question or just watch the show uh, and hang out with us, we would love it if you'd come by at the Religious Ed Conference. The other uh, thing is that tons of the EWTN folks are going to be there doing their shows there. So Mm -hmm. you might keep an eye on what's going on at the EWTN booth. Uh, we're doing the weird, wacky questions that we don't usually get a chance to get to on the air today with Jimmy Aiken and uh, Fabian uh, on Facebook asks, could an artificially intelligent and sentient creature be capable of being saved? What is the litmus test for defining a rational soul? Okay. Well, the question, so there's several related questions here. One of them is, would it even need to be saved? Because if it's an unfallen life form then in, it, 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 it wouldn't need salvation from sins because it wouldn't have sins. Incidentally, earlier we had a question about could Jesus um, incarnate in another race? And the answer was yes, if he chose to. Um, but one thing I meant to mention there is it, that other race wouldn't necessarily have to even be unfallen. 
because there's oh. a it, it, what, it, there's a theory that some respected Catholic theologians have entertained that Jesus would have incarnated in our race even if we had not fallen. Mm-hmm. That's not the majority opinion. The majority opinion is that he incarnated as a human because we fell. Mm-hmm. But some have said he didn't. He didn't have to. He could have incarnated even without us becoming fallen. Mm-hmm. Same would be true of an alien race. So. In order to need salvation, you need to have you need to be fallen or otherwise in danger of committing sins, and uh, and also you would need presumably a rational soul, something that survives death. Otherwise, you're talking about something that's very dissimilar to the kind of salvation people will mean when they say saved. You know, they mean eternal yeah. salvation involving eternal life on into the future. Um, and for that, you need a rational soul, or at least that's the classical understanding that you need a rational soul in order to survive death and have this immortal existence into the future. Um, basically, a rational soul is an immaterial entity that is that possesses at least the human level of reason. If it possesses human-level rationality, and it's a soul, then it's a rational soul. Um, There are creatures that have some degree of reasoning ability, you know, dolphins, chimpanzees, parrots, Mm -hmm. you know, octopi, um, that have varying different levels of of reasoning ability, but they don't have human-level reason. And so... um, we know that of the creatures here on this earth, there's a distinction between human souls and other the souls of other animals that have less than human reason. Where whether um, and and the classical understanding is that only rational souls survive death. That's not a church teaching. That's just a theological opinion, but it's the most common one. One could say, well, maybe if we let's say we met. Um, a creature that was nearly human in its intelligence, like almost human in its reasoning level, but not quite. Maybe like some of our ancestors. Would they have had rational souls? Well, not rational of the human level, but maybe rational enough to survive death. Mm -hmm. That's a question we don't know the answer to at this point. That's a wide open question theologically. Um, So part of our problem in wrestling with this question is – we don't have enough experience with other parallel cases. Angels, we've had a little bit of experience with, but and they have supra-rational souls. They have more than human reasoning capability. Mm-hmm. Um, they're smarter than us. Uh, but we don't have enough other examples of things with comparable intellect to us to be able to define precisely where the boundaries are. So mm-hmm. what would need to happen to get a more precise answer is we need to meet some creatures, either through space travel or time travel, um, that have an intellect similar to us that are biological life forms. And we need to be able to interact with them and have theological reflection on the issues. And ultimately, an ecumenical council would need to address some of these questions. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what it would take for us to get firmer answers to this question. In terms of could an art, artificially intelligent 
and sentient creature be capable of being saved? So let's suppose it's got human-level reason. Mm-hmm. So we take that question off the table. Um, and it, let's suppose it, it's got some sins, so it needs to be saved from those. And let's, uh, let's suppose it has um, an immortal soul so that it's, it can have eternal life. Well, in principle, yeah, it can be saved. God could make provisions to save a life form like that, just like he saved us. And un, but, all, but not necessarily, because as Jude points out, God didn't stoop to pick up angels when they fell. Yeah. So angels don't participate in the redemption. Mm-hmm. And so if an artificially sent, intelligent and sentient creature with a soul uh, had sins, God might or might not allow it uh, mm-hmm. to be saved because salvation from sin is a grace. And it's, and it's God that determines whether he makes that grace available, among other things, based on the nature of the creature in question. Um, one thing uh, you might wonder, so when you say artificially intelligent, that can mean a number of different things. Um, if you mean a computer, you know, like a artificial mm-hmm. intelligence program on a computer, it's hard to see how that kind of entity, even if it had all the calculating ability of a human, mm-hmm. it's hard to see how that would have a soul and hard to see how it would be sentient or feeling Yeah, because it's just manipulating data in an information system. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> on the other hand, if you built a brain out of neurons yeah. or if you built an organism synthetically and yeah. gave it DNA and then grew it, well, then it would be a living organism. And if you made it so that it had human level intellect, it would be a synthetic artificial intelligence, but it would also be biological mm-hmm. and presumably would have a soul because the soul is the for, for, is the life principle of the body. It's got a body. It's alive. It's got a soul. Yeah. And if it's got human level reason, it's got a rational soul. And uh, that's in, that is wild. Yeah. I'm glad we asked that question. That's a fascinating uh, I, for a second, I thought you were saying that Skynet might uh, Skynet be bad. saved. Skynet bad, but but you're at the end there. No, because Skynet is a computer, yeah, right? It's, or it's a set of computers, network of computers. Yeah, yeah. All right, uh, Fabian. Thanks for that really cool question. Let's see if we can get uh, one. Uh, uh, should we do the back Black Mirror question? Yeah, uh, let's do that one. Okay, George. Uh, the through the the TV series Black Mirror. A recurring theme is digital duplicates of human consciousness getting treated with cruelty as they are enslaved by and pitted against actual body and soul human beings. As Catholics, who are we rooting for? The real flesh and blood humans, right? I'm thinking particularly of season four, episode one. I'm gathering you are familiar with that. I'm episode. familiar with Black Mirror. I haven't okay. seen it's a British series, kind of like the Twilight Zone, yeah. only with modern production values. Um, also more modern sensibilities and it. It contains some disturbing content. Some of it, I'm told, I've not seen the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm, some of it is disturbing enough, I don't want to see it. Oh, really? But I am familiar with the episode in question, the season opener of the most recent season, season four. And there is a human in it who duplicates people's digital consci- consciousness digitally and has them in a, a computer program that he runs and uses as kind of his personal video game at home. Mm-hmm. And he, he he abuses them. Um, he it, 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 he he does things to them that makes their digital lives very unpleasant. I mean, he's oh. not he's not he's not usually directly torturing them, but it's like 
they can't leave. They're not in control. They have to cater to his whims, oh. you know, this kind of stuff. So it's he's a tyrant. He's a tyrant. And he's just doing this to try to have fun. He's not trying to be deliberately cruel unless they get out of line. But that's what's happening. And so they decide to take matters into their own hands. And so what George is asking is, who should we root for here? Well, just because this guy, I mean, I often comment about tribalism being a problem. Yeah. Well, the human guy here is part of our tribe. He's a real human. Yeah. He's not one of the digital consciousnesses. Right. So, but just because he's part of our tribe, just because he's flesh and blood, doesn't mean we got to root for him. If he's doing something bad, yeah. um, The uh, it's like if someone is torturing their dog, well, the dog does not have rights. It, but yeah. But what's wrong about torturing a dog, even though it doesn't have rights, is it re- it it reveals vice on the part of the person doing the torturing. Yeah. So if I torture a dog, that makes me a bad person. It doesn't mean I'm violating the dog's rights, but it shows a viciousness in me to right. do that. Right. And so if I was torturing a dog, you could totally root for the dog to snap at me and and defend itself. I think and I it, might, too. Yeah. And in the same way, if someone is uh, revealing viciousness in themselves in how they treat digital copies of other people's consciousnesses, yeah. then you can totally root that the the digital copies will defend themselves and deal with the person who's revealing his own viciousness. Got it. OK, that may, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um uh, yeah, the, and, but with the dog, if I if I may just ask yeah. a quick follow. By the way, I like dogs. I don't torture. Dogs. No, I know, but with the, they, even though the dog doesn't have rights, which is mm-hmm. clear, does they do feel? Isn't there a, a way in which I'm offending God because it's God's creature? Yeah. Too. Oh, okay. I yeah. didn't know if you were just saying that I was offending God because I was behaving. No, but anything bad. you do bad offends God. Man, that, that's a. I, we should have Lent or something. Oh, yeah, we're, we're in yeah. the middle of it. How yeah. about that? Yeah, that's good for us. Jimmy Aiken, you're coming back tomorrow. Yeah. It's great to spend every day with you. <laughs> it's, a fun, it's a fun week for me. Uh, we ha- Likewise. I, I, I want to hear from folks. If you're on uh, Facebook or whatnot, did you like the uh, weird questions uh, show? Because maybe we'll make this a, a bunch more thing. we didn't get to. Yeah, know? we've got a bunch more weird questions. Next hour, I do want to remind you. Uh, oh, no, not remind you. I didn't tell you. that uh, Jerry and Debbie are going to be here from the morning show. Take two on EW10. Uh, we're going to talk about forgiveness with Jerry and Debbie, not in a theoretical sense, uh, but in a practical sense. How does one make forgiveness an operational reality in one's life? And not only how, but why one should do that. Please join us next hour. Where we talk about forgiveness with Jerry and Debbie from Take Two on EWTN. We'll see you in a few minutes on Catholic Answers Live. <laughs> 